Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We are kicking off the James Bond character study series leading up to No Time to Die, which will, we all think and are told anyway, likely be Daniel Craig's final turn as the 007 agent. So also Mike and myself figured what better time than to review everyone who has ever stepped into the role and donned the suit and drank the martinis that were shaken, not stirred. And why not recap each individual actor's portrayal of James Bond up until this point? I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host, also Mike. Yes, also Mike here. We are going to start with Sean Connery. We'll have a George Lazenby episode coming up, but like Mike said, we're going Bond by Bond. Today is the seven films from Connery. We're going to have a non-spoiler section where we do a getting into character segment, some backstory, box office stats, some behind the scenes stories a little bit. From all the Connery Bonds, we'll kind of riff on the other movies we're not going to necessarily dive deep into today. Then we're going to kind of review his performances in our historical significance segment. God, we're going to try. (laughs) We'll chat about how uh, Connery's impacted the franchise at large, how how he made the franchise at large in many ways, and how the films have set trends for blockbuster filmmaking in general. Yeah, and and then on the other side of this, we're going to dive into spoilers where we'll have a lot of fun discussing some of the best and worst scenes. Emphasis on one of those. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think we're going to give this series some tough love in its early iterations here. I think some things don't necessarily hold That's up. That's the biggest thing. They don't yeah. hold up well, and who's to know? But for the time, they were certainly revolutionary. We will give them their due. I do have a lot of fond memories of sure. the series from the Pierce Brosnan days yep. when I'm in my youth and from the Daniel Craig movies. So those are like our recent bonds. Right. You know, I don't know about you. I've seen a Timothy Dalton movie. I've seen a couple Roger Moores, but I, I wasn't a huge fan going in. So I was, I was reluctant to get into this character study, but I need this character study. This character study is good for us, but don't expect just a couple of guys who are just going to, you know, be a geek out, yeah, geek out for Bond. <laughs> this is not that serious. If you thought we were harsh at all on Quentin Tarantino. Just wait. (laughs) Although, uh, we will mention all six films throughout this episode. We're going to focus on two movies, like Mike said. I reviewed Goldfinger, and that will be what I talk mostly about. And also, Mike is going to tackle Diamonds Are Forever. And we have a bunch of fun segments named after Bond sayings or dad jokes or puns or Bond movies uh, that we hope Sean Sean Connery himself would approve of to help us in spoilers. All right, so getting into characters, our first segment here. Just want to touch on Sean Connery's early life. And it doesn't read like, a James Bond resume, let's just say. <laughs> you know, he uh, he has some commonalities. He did serve in the war, in the Navy. Mm-hmm. He comes back, and what does he become, Mike? He comes back, and he becomes a milkman. Just like James Bond. In Edinburgh. <laughs> well, a James Bond cover, maybe. No, <laughs> sure. not even. Not even a James Bond cover. But he does... I'm a milkman. <laughs> he does uh, become a professional bodybuilder, and uh, this kind of gets him some notoriety. He, he finishes, like, third in Mr. Universe, and look, I mean, he's in, like, the lightweight division. I think, just based on the pictures. And the Mr. Universe has come a long way, let's just say. <laughs> it's just like Sean Connery, he's a little slightly more ripped than he never was. And he's a third in a bodybuilding company. He does have quite the jawline during his time at Bond. So true. I could see people falling in love this with that. This is just jealousy seeking, right? <laughs> he then 
Connery then traveled around the UK on a motorbike and theater shows and went from theater to British TV, getting his big break in Requiem for a Heavyweight when Jack Palance, Oscar winner Jack Palance, pulled out of the British TV special. Hollywood then took notice after Darby O'Gill and the Little People earning himself, Connery did, an eventual starring role in Hitchcock's Marnie. So Darby O'Gill and the Little People was a movie from my my childhood that I, I used to I've watch I've ever seen it. And he's pretty good in it. Yeah? It reminds me of Jennifer Aniston getting her start for in Leprechaun. Is, that, is this the Disney movie? Is this on Disney Plus? If it's not on Disney Plus, it should be. I it think I remember like making it. fun of the name of this movie and somebody being like, that was a great movie for my childhood. They do have picture in picture, like, you know, the because the, the literal miniature leprechauns are only the size of, like, your hand. Right. They're walking around, and it basically it's full-size people, but they do picture in picture kind of thing. Uh, it's technology. Get a, little, yeah. get a little ahead of the times with technology there. Exactly. I like it. Anyway, as the stories go, the uh, filmmakers offered the role at first to Cary Grant, to James Mason. Could you imagine to James Mason, James Bond. Uh, not after Lolita. <laughs> but definitely, no, I can't imagine James Mason. So I'm glad they went with Connery at the end of the day because these other guys wouldn't commit to the franchise. They're like, Grant, I forget if it was Grant or Mason. Like, one would only commit for one film, the other for two films. They wanted this to be an ongoing series. So the producers fell in love with Connery and when they found him, and they really went to bat because... Ian Fleming himself, the uh, the novelist, did not want Connery. Well, let's give some props to the producers, too, for having the forethought in the 60s, the early 60s and yeah. the 50s, when they were probably casting this, to say we want basically what would become now known as a cinematic universe. We want somebody attached to this, like we attached the people to the MCU for seven films or ten films. That's kind of what they were looking for. So, again, ahead of its time. See, we're going to be nice when people deserve our niceties. Well, they <laughs> also just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. So, Dr. No comes along in 1962. Yes, this movie has a silly ending it's kind of a silly fight amongst this like nuclear waste and one guy falls into it it's I, I give you a hint it's not bond like i'm not really feeling all that guilty to spoil things about these movies because you know the plots for everyone right right even it's if the same you don't, plot exactly don't yeah that's know, the you know. that's the point you were making you know the plot <laughs> to every james bond movie i also would say that if you're going to focus on a fight from the connery bonds they're all God bless the choreography, a little hackneyed, and do not hold up well to the eyes of 2020 anyway. Yes, so. uh, but look, I mean, there's some iconic moments. There's the coming out of the water scene. I, I won't spoil all those, but there's the, you know, uh, Smith and Wesson scene, that famous scene. You know, Bond does have that license to kill. You You establish a lot of tropes in this movie, and it does huge numbers. On yeah. a they had a hit right out of the gate, did MGM here. The box office mojo only goes back to 1977, so we can only go by the numbers that Wikipedia has. And if you believe Wikipedia, Dr. No was the ninth highest domestic grossing film of 1963. It trailed Hitchcock's The Birds by only $2.5 million. And there wasn't a lot of turnaround between Fleming actually finishing the Dr. No novel and the production of this film wrapping up and it debuting in theaters. Fleming published the novel and hit bookshelves at the end of March, March 31st, 1958, about 55 months later this movie was done and in theaters so i watched a couple uh, documentaries on fleming and he really lobbied to get this one in front of producers he wanted a james bond film series very much so and uh he worked hard to get it he said no to some people for tv he he went in for the for the film rights and that's it uh the movie made 16 million domestically 59.5 million worldwide on a 1.1 million dollar budget it wound up winning ursula andrus a golden globe for new star of the year in 1964 yes ursula andrus of course playing the 
titular role of Honey Rider. Honey Rider. They get just <laughs> they get better from there, folks. In 1963, you get from Russia with Love. This one was had a two million dollar budget, made 24.7 domestically for a worldwide total of 78.9. A million dollars. And you saw the success with the box office and with the studio already. Just a year later, a second Bond movie, and they already more or about double the budget almost that the first Bond movie was given. Uh, this would also cause waves in pop culture because this was the first Bond song to have an impact as Matt Monroe's theme song for From Russia With Love actually reached the top 20 charts in the UK. Nominee for a Golden Globe as well. And this movie won the BAFTA Award for Cinematography Color. And guess how color is spelt with a U? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But this is probably my favorite Bond movie from Russia with Love. There's a great fight on a train in that movie that is really harrowing stuff. And then there's a gadget from Q that really works. And I really like it. And I, look, the movie has some preposterous elements, but I think it's it's my favorite. So and far. it was the high, one of the higher rated uh, Bonds alongside with Connery. It sits at a 7.4 on IMDb right now. And they're not all that high. <laughs> 1964 comes along. It's Goldfinger for a $3 million budget, $51 million gross domestically, 124.9 around the world on its take. It won the Oscar for Best Sound Effects. It was a Bath the Nom for Art Direction Color Movies. Yeah, so we have our first Oscar win in the James Bond series. This is still one of the most famous Bonds of all time. It was released in the UK on September 17th, 1964, almost exactly a month after the passing of Bond creator and author Fleming, who died at the age of 56 of a heart attack in that year. Goldfinger was also a seminal moment for the Bond franchise as in just three movies over three years, the film had more than tripled its domestic box office rake and more than doubled what it would take in worldwide. It had a $124.9 million worldwide box office that Mike already told you about. That was the highest grossing film of any film released in 64 and one of the only films at that time doing over $120 million period. Maybe not so coincidentally, this was also the first Bond that had a large concentration on different gadgets and gizmos, which would become a franchise staple from here on out, especially as it related to Bond's vehicle of choice, which in this film was a custom-built Aston Martin DB5, which they are sure to make mention of in the movie as well. And you'll make mention of yet again in this episode because that's an iconic car. Mm -hmm. But this is full-blown Bond mania Mm -hmm. after Goldfinger heading into Thunderball, which is the underwater Bond. This is the scuba bond. More so than, you know, uh, always say never again. No, that's our segment. Never say never, never again. Never, always, sometimes, right. never again, maybe. There are long-ass fights underwater between armies of scuba men, of frogmen. There are frogmen charges. So sometimes they tried predicting the future, and sometimes they were right and ahead of their time, and other times we haven't gotten to the frogmen armies clashing underwater yet. And the amount of women in this movie that Bond sleeps with is just, just it's the, the most excess that I've ever seen. He's going to come down with something. He gets progressively more horrible towards women right but at least but at least towards the end of the series like diamonds are forever he doesn't he doesn't he only sleeps with one girl in there as far as actually yes but he approaches women with just no qualms he doesn't have a lot of qualms this is a man without qualms but anyway thunderball 6.8 million dollar budget 63 million domestically 141 worldwide and thunderball won the oscar for best visual effects and it was a best bafta nom or a basta whatever i was gonna say <laughs> nom for art direction color uh did you watch thunderball michael 
I did. I wish I didn't necessarily take notes as heavily on Thunderball. I, yeah, I did I not could... reread the notes. But the thing about Thunderball is there's a lot of Italians in it, which I liked. Mm-hmm. There's almost sharks with laser beams, let me just say. <laughs> they get very close, yes. Thunderball is getting campy, and it's getting towards the Austin Power parody point. Yes. Which is hits full-blown with this next movie. And Thunderball, they, they tried widening out that cinematic universe as well. Spectre was a repeated deal. Blofeld we were already kind of uh, introduced to and kind of uh, getting used to by this point. So we were trying to build something here with Connery. There's much more tradecraft in the first two movies, let's mm-hmm. just say. Like, yeah. Dr. No, there's a a lot of you know sneering at airports there's a lot of you know cars following several lengths behind there's more spy stuff typical spy stuff cold war spy mm-hmm. stuff in the first two movies and once you get into the gold i mean goldfinger is, is definitely they blow out that plot you're going to get into it the next few movies are big spectacle styled films yeah the money might have gotten uh gotten in the way of production as we see happen still to this day yes you only live twice comes out in 1967 10.3 million dollar budget 43 rake domestically 111 worldwide just a BAFTA nom for art direction and, and I misspoke this is the one Donald Pleasance's turn as Blofeld comes yes. out this is where he's debuted Spectre was the one that was kind of reintroduced but Blofeld hadn't been revealed and this is the plot of Austin Powers this yes, movie this literally. is a full blown volcano base layer whatever secret volcano layer this is the plot of Austin now, Powers now it's worth saying that at the time Audiences seem to be eating it up, and they like they went camp for a reason. Obviously, it was still working at the box office. They were still making money, and all these movies are kind of rated similarly. Uh, there's the highs. Goldfinger was the high, and yet I do think that blue turtleneck that Bond has to wear <laughs> to storm the volcano base, yes. Doctor Evil's volcano base. Yes, to storm that base, he has to wear just like a onesie. It's a turtleneck that goes into a onesie, <laughs> but there's short shorts involved as well. Because of course, you better give him short shorts. I think Naturally. that broke him. I yes, I'm I could pretty see sure that. that broke him because he's done with Bond after this. On Her Majesty's Secret Service, that we'll, we'll talk more about the uh, behind-the-scenes production story in the next episode. But you get a new James Bond, and Sean Connery checks out for a couple years. And I remember it's been a couple years since I've rewatched it, but I remember thinking back in the day, "Wow, isn't it ironic that On Her Majesty's Secret Service to me was the most entertaining Bond, and it's the one Connery dipped out on before coming back?" So I haven't seen it yet, and I am terrified that that's the case. <laughs> terrified, like this can't be the best. A lot of people, a lot of Bond enthusiasts, a lot of the Bond podcasts that I've dipped mm-hmm. into for this, a lot of the uh, the people referenced in Nobody Does It Better, which is a great like 30-hour origin story of every right. Bond. It was a mesmerizing audiobook listen. That's why we're just kind of you know dipping into this, you know, glossing over things for this episode, even though we're over-talking like I am right now. <laughs> but we're, we're not giving you the whole backstory no. for every Connery Bond because go there first. Right. There's the 007 Diaries from Roger Moore as well there's a lot of good stuff out there but uh in this particular case a lot of people and a lot of the bond standbys love that film as one of their top films which terrifies me <laughs> because they only went with one movie and they're like laser be you're fired or laser be's like i quit yeah but whatever happened there I, I remember again i didn't do the research I, I remember it's something being some kind of contractual dispute and as we're going to talk about in another minute anyway the, the bond history about where the ip lays and who had the rights to make what and who wanted to sell to what studio well, it's all over the place laser is interviewed and he's like i pulled out yeah. 
And then everybody else is interviewed and they're like, no, we fired him. No, well, there you go. As is to happen sometimes. So it's very strange. And like the stories are half this way and half that way all over the place. Anyway, 1971 comes along. Diamonds Are Forever is the film. And he's back, baby. (laughs) He makes $1 million to to act in this movie and he donates it to charity. It is newly started charity, Sean Connery. So this was a big deal for him. He also got points on the end of the gross. Well, smart businessman. We're seeing a bit of a dip in quality, at least in terms of how these are reviewed. This is a a well below seven. Now we're talking about a 6.6. We're struggling on IMDb scale to stay in what will be a quality picture. I wanted to review this one because it's so awesomely bad. And there's a lot of awesome stuff in there, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of bad in there as well. So I'm going to review this in the second half of the episode, but it did well. 7.2 budget, 43 domestic, 116 worldwide. Oscar nom for best sound mixing mic. Do you fancy yourself more of a kid or more of a wint? Um, more of a wint, <laughs> I would say. Why would you answer that seriously? <laughs> it's so bad. It's so <laughs> offensive. It's so offensive. But wint has, he, he hams it up a little more. If you were to point a gun at my face and ask me right now to tell you which one is which. Wint's the, the bald and... One with the I'll take the your word for hair. it. <laughs> and Wint is also like he'll like act like he needs his wisdom teeth. I out. see. Okay. Yes. So I'm that kind of guy. Right. Where the other guy is just and like I'll stick the scorpion artist. down someone's back. Is what you're Correct. saying? <laughs> That's what you would do. Anyway, uh, the big story that we'll talk about in the Roger Moore episode is 1983 comes along, and there's this whole big thing with the production rights for Casino Royale and that storyline and how. Essentially, the, the two studios have the rights to two halves of the Bond uh, franchise. One gets Sean Connery to do it with a lot of Bond people. The other, Eon, with Broccoli and the regular producers there, yeah. they keep Roger Moore going. And you get, was it Octopussy or Moon, Moonraker? You, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about it in a few well, episodes here's, from now. Yeah, here's what you need to know mostly about that specifically, that departure from Bond and copyright law in general. Until De La Soul came out in the R&B scene in <laughs> 1990 with their first music, copyright law didn't really exist. And then they just started sampling everybody's music and passed it off as their own. Right. And the entire music industry was like, wait a minute. <laughs> that's our music that these guys are making money off of. So that was really when the entertainment world took notice of what was going on. So this is one of the first times that more lawyers actually helped <laughs> I didn't say that. Anyway, <laughs> Never Say Never Again did okay. $36 you million liked budget. Well, here's the thing. Like is a strong word. Okay. But I enjoyed the watch. It's still got all the stuff where it's just like, oh, that's not right. Mm-hmm. But it's also it's also like a Rambo movie to begin, and then it's like, all right, thun- the best of Thunderball. It, it's it's the most campy movie yet. It's, so it, it has like some decent fun stuff in there. It also, he is literally battling with sharks underwater at one point, then gets fished out of the water, deep sea. <laughs> By a beautiful woman who he then has a tryst with. Who no doubt is named, like, Vagina Coast Guard. <laughs> Vagina Coast Guard is the most beautiful woman of the movie so far. Rescues him, and then they and then they hang out. And he's he comes on shore with overalls at the end of all that. Naturally. Well, and this he, is the oldest Connery, by the way. And that's what I was going to go next. Connery's 53 by the time he does this remake. So this is an older Bond. And it was played. I mean, I know that the script was written as a somewhat older Bond anyway. So it was supposed to be placating towards the actual actor of Sean Connery to please him and make it more believable. You said it's watchable. 
watchable. That's a win. Well, they all are watchable. Debatable. <laughs> all right, listen. The combined budgets are, are $66.4 million. The total box office of every Connery movie is $792.1 million. That is, for every million dollars spent, you're making $11.9 million. You're making $12 for every dollar you put into production. That's not a bad ratio. He was great for it. He basically established like blockbuster filmmaking the way it is now, just by the success of these movies in many ways. It's almost impossible to imagine that really the only world building we had, after the success of Bond, the only world building we had was still just sequels and iterations of sequels. We didn't have these long, sprawling epics lasting seven or eight films when this has this track record of success just sitting there for the industry to copy. And it's interesting that throughout the Bond series, and we'll, we'll probably talk about this more going forward, you don't have like a spin-off movie. Right, You yeah. don't have a prequel movie. There's no Blofeld movie, yeah. It, it never happens that way. and you, The cinematic universe thing's not happening. It's just straight sequels. Yeah, there's fan theories right. about the Bond being a code name, and a lot of purists don't like that. But I do think it's interesting that Sean Connery, just movie after movie, and yeah, they begin where the last movie left off. Right. You know, you get some of the same actresses involved. They're, they're, they were on a boat to end every movie, pretty much. Just having sex on a boat. If he was that non-caring about mm-hmm. ever being rescued, mm-hmm. you would think at some point they would just stop looking for him. <laughs> well, it would be a hell of a way to go. But the next movie always starts right. on shore. Right. They've made it back. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting that 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 happens too. But there's a lot of tropes that are built upon. So it's interesting to watch the genesis of all these movies. I don't know if I picked the best movie of the sixth. I don't think I I could almost say definitively you didn't. I shouldn't have picked that movie, but it's going to be fun to review. That's why I picked it. You also picked another fun movie to review. Yeah, I was surprised. I've seen Goldfinger a billion times, but I didn't remember it being rated so highly. I was surprised it was rated so highly. People love it. I actually am very impressed with some aspects of it, which is going to be nice because after having rewatched Diamonds Are Forever, uh, I'm less impressed with some aspects that Bond has to offer, so. All right, well, let's dive into the Connery performance a little bit here. Charles Higson, he's the author of the Young Bond novels, had a telling quote in this uh, documentary, Sean Connery, in his own words. He said that James Bond is the man that knows, and Sean Connery had to personify that. Uh, The man we all wanted to be, credibly sure of himself. He knows how to dress. He knows how to get rid of women. (laughs) He has to get off of women. He knows how to get off of women. All those things that us men crave to do, and Sean Connery embodied that. And I don't know how to pronounce British colloquialisms (laughs) in my white American voice. Yeah, that's. I mean, it reads awkwardly in 2020. Put the quotes wherever you need to in there. We we understand what they're going for. Sean Connery was the ultimate man's man. He's the ultimate male fantasy from a man's perspective he is literally fucking and then he's fighting and then he's and again, winning and then every and then, step of the way and then he's at a casino yeah and then he's this he's is, winning thousands of dollars he's banging hot women he's a raging alcoholic yeah and never affects his work there's one scene <laughs> he is the male fantasy there's one scene in uh never say never again where it's like they just established the time it's like it's 11 p.m yeah um, 11 a.m., excuse okay. me, 11 a.m., and the guy's like, would you like some coffee or tea and martini? <laughs> 
on the rocks. And the guy the just best thought like, of waking up. <laughs> Vodka. I think I just turned Sean Connery in the leads in the Scott Stab from Creed. Yeah, you've had some interesting. Uh, I can't accent, man. This is going to be no. brutal for me. I'm not. I'm not trying it either <laughs> yet. I'm going to do it later. But you know, look, I mean, Connery pulls off the ladies' man mystique. I mean, for better and for yeah, worse. Oh, without question, he, they couldn't have casted a better person. Truly. So every actress interviewed, every woman interviewed, I mean, there's even books. There's the books about the feminism and James Bond and the lack thereof. One is called Shaken and Stirred. Okay. I mean, so think about that. So, the, I mean, Connery had, had that effect. I mean, he leveled people, but with his attractiveness, he was named sexiest man of the century uh, yeah, at one point. That's... There's a reason these movies made so much money outside of they were like technical marvels and they used a lot of great effects for the time. But the prototype of a movie star and a leading man being this beautiful chiseled from granite type, it had to start somewhere and it did before Connery, but Connery certainly is in the lineage of those leading men. Well, you said the the ultimate word there. He has beautiful eyes. I will say that (laughs) fine. But he also has like these puppy dog eyes where it's like, He'll shoot you in the face. Who, me? Did I do that? <laughs> Let's see. The impersonation is terrible. But, I mean, he's got the physicality, but he's also not the best fighter in the world. Like, he gets his ass kicked, especially on the train fight from Russia with Love, later in Diamonds Are Forever. He gets his ass kicked so many times. He's almost like a fighter like Heath Ledger's Joker was a fighter. I would argue that's part of his mystique, too, though, because what's the male fantasy? If you're going to get your ass kicked, just get right back up, and then you win the fight, he's which is what he does. And he's yeah. more clever than other people and mm-hmm. he's got the gadgets on his side and he doesn't necessarily have to be you know rambo yeah he, exactly he's not i mean but that goes with the debonair like you're not you can't wear a tux and throw a good right hook you know it doesn't work that way man if you're debonair and you're proper you're going to give everyone the chance to back down before you ultimately throw them over the side of a cliff <laughs> he does that a lot i think he also he can play for comedy and that's hard to do when you're trying to be serious, and but he takes the there's like a wink throughout every. Yeah, and I wonder how much of that is in the scripts originally, and how much of that is just you can't help but be charmed by Sean Connery in the '60s. I wonder if he's reading these scripts, and we find out later on that he's this esteemed actor that does great stuff for award-winning. Oh, I'm sure. And he's reading this shit, and he's like, "Really? Got to class this up." Come to me, money penny. <laughs> I. <laughs> and he's reading this stuff, and he's like. All right, I'm just going to do this half, not half-heartedly, but I'm going to do it with a wink at the camera. Yeah, yeah. I can absolutely see that, and that would not surprise me whatsoever. There's a lot of confidence. He is... is, Brimming with it. You you can learn from Sean Connery acting as if you have that level of confidence, and you can do anything. And credit to the filmmakers, too, and the directors, because they all seem to match his tone. Like, yes, these got ridiculous, but they still made money, and for the time, that was... I mean, it's still the only point of movie-making, but... These could have been shunned, and they could have just been campy and too schlocky and not have gone on to make 25 movies over the course of 40 years like they have, but they kept churning out hits for the most part pretty much until the 80s. Cosign, Mike, and I think that's the end of our non-spoiler section, even though I kind of spoiled three movies in there. But again... I mean, look, stick with us for the spoilers. Lasers, anyway, you know cliffs, there's gonna explosions. be an end the world plot, and <laughs> right. then he saves the world. You know that's every Bond movie, right? Right. So, yeah, just stick with us. I mean, if fun. James Bond is involved, right, the world is at risk at the hands of a madman. Yes. <laughs> every time. Let's go into spoilers. Spoilers ahead!
This is a spoiler warning. All right, this is the spoiler section of the very first episode of the James Bond character study brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar, as we said at the start, or at the outset. This is the Sean Connery episode. Uh, we're going to have a lot more bells and whistles attached to this series as we go along. We have a logo in the works. I'm going to have a theme song in the works. We're going to have drops in the works, maybe, if if Mike doesn't do a stellar job introducing some of these category headings, as you're about to hear. But Oh, I'm not. <laughs> Yes, it is right now. It's just also Mike and I going through these different segments. Now, like we said at the top, the spoiler section is divided into different segments, concentrating on different aspects of Sean Connery's portrayal of James Bond, at least for this episode. And with each segment, we will have a kind of a take on a James Bond movie title. So the first section we're going to talk about, Michael, is... The Spy who's not me. <laughs> Thank you. We're talking about the fantasy elements of James Bond, the best and the worst, and why we want to, but personally could never ourselves be James Bond. Plenty of tools thrown out of the window and diamonds are forever. <laughs> this this happens in a bunch of Bond movies, by yes. the way. Not just the woman getting thrown out the window. There's a joke about, that's an exceptionally great shot. We'll, we'll get into it in one-liners coming up, but there's a joke about her going into the pool mm-hmm. on the bottom, and then he turns around, senses that there are evildoers about, mm-hmm. walks around his apartment, and there's another beautiful woman waiting for him in his bed, ready to go. <laughs> it's like room service. <laughs> and this happens many times throughout the series, throughout these seven, six movies, however many. And you're saying that you would not be prepared to handle that situation if you were in James Bond's shoes? <laughs> How did you get in here? Where are your clothes, young heart woman? Atta- I would have a heart attack if Jill St. John was in my bed after I just witnessed someone get thrown into a pool. The, the litany of emotional range that you would have to pull off if it was just like, uh, like Connery can play cool and calm and collected in those moments where our heads would be falling off our necks. But to me, that, <laughs> yeah, scenes like that just, you know, quantify the, the fact that this is a midlife crisis mm-hmm. come to the silver screen yes. and just shown in all of its, you know, fantastic glory. And you love being a part of that. Like, can you imagine living this as a white male you certainly (laughs) love being a part of it and that was all that was really considered when these movies were being made and i would say that's all that's considered with any bond movie up until probably daniel craig (sighs) we're we're getting there we have a whole segment i know i just wanted that out there Uh, as far as other reasons why we would do poorly as bond ourselves uh in goldfinger i am far too fat of a man not only to do the physical activities that mr connery does a young mr connery you're a sniper's wet dream there's a scene where he he gets sniped (laughs) and you come to find out the sniper wasn't aiming for him anyway but either i would be too fat and get in the way of the missed shot or I'm too fat to be missed with a sniper rifle if they have a clear shot. And I certainly wouldn't do well driving down the mountainside as happens immediately after he gets sniped at and this scene in Goldfinger where I would have just driven off the cliff or crashed or lost my tail. Something bad would have happened. I did kind of like that sequence where he's, he's... I mean, the mountains, driving along the mountains was beautiful there. It's absolutely beautiful and it's something an Aston Martin should do. That should be a road test for an Aston Martin. That's exactly what an Aston Martin I drive a Kia Optima. <laughs> and it would have been a little different. Uh, I also uh, love how he's he's a high roller. Every single scenario, like if he he's spending all his money, yeah. he's a high roller in every casino. He's a high roller where he's getting the bridal suite locked in mm-hmm. for him and Tiffany Case, pretty much. <laughs> she makes this line in Diamonds Are Forever when the CIA is guarding them. 
uh, where she's like, this is a switch. The wolf is being guarded by the three little pigs. And basically, Bond is not allowed to leave, right? But mm-hmm. would that stop James Bond? No, of course not. He goes out the window onto the roof, and he's basically Batman scaling the building, <laughs> the side a... of the building. Somebody told me I couldn't do something. That's when you this start thinking, the right. the male fantasy. I'm going to use my technology. I'm going to buck your orders, mm-hmm. and I am going to do what I want. Because I have a mission and I have to... You and I would find a ball to bounce off the wall, off the floor, and back into our hand, and we would do that. Happily stay in the bridal suite with Jill St. John, order room service. Even if it's Wint and uh, Kid. Right, right. I would order room service. I would probably eat that delicious cake with a bomb in it. Right. Uh, And that also goes to the fact that these bonds, even to young Sean Connery, does give normal men like you and I these chances to resemble him and relate to him. Because what actually does happen with the Aston Martin in Goldfinger is that he's driving down these narrow hallways in a warehouse. And eventually he just gives up and basically throws himself into a wall. And I like to think that was a little shout out to guys like us who would have done the same anyway. So there's, you know, we don't get the full Bond experience, but we could crash a car. Sometimes Bond just says, fuck it. Right. In this whole series, he says it a lot. And he's like, fuck it, let's go. Let's fight, let's just crash, let's do this. Because you can only be clever for so long. Exactly. And that's kind of cool. Sometimes he is that blunt instrument. And he does have limitations, right? Like, that's also why it works, because you said the relatability the vulnerability he is mr Slav and mr everything but he's he's got some rough edges he's got some rough edges all the whilst joyriding <laughs> around vegas or holland or or wherever these uh, movies go jamaica all these beautiful places just these settings that are just dazzling i mean can you imagine how many people went to vegas after diamonds are forever because james bond did a movie there what is that movie where the guy and the girl are in the sand rolling around as the waves crash over them. From here to eternity. From here to eternity, You're right. going to do that. Like, he saw that and was like, hey, I got an idea for our next setting. Right. But how many people <laughs> in the late 40s, early 50s did that? Right. You know, and got basically seaweed in their mouths. <laughs> After doing that. Right. Because it's just a movie thing and they don't realize it. But, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, you probably drive that orange muscle car, which I wrote down its name later on, through the Vegas streets. You'll probably want to, you know, go to the Bahamas or wherever. Oh, yeah. Right they. Now. I don't think they were any... They weren't just making an action movie. I think they knew they were making... This is male fantasy 101, right? And this is... Especially in the 60s, when you didn't have to give regards to anybody but yourself... This is what it is. And if he's going to get his ass kicked, right. two beautiful women get to kick his ass. Of course. Ass. So it's also weirdly, strangely, <laughs> offensively. Some joy. Offensively is underlined It's there. offensively yes. fun. Yes. All right. A live and let dad joke. Right. It's supposed to be, I was thinking of you singing this. A live and let dad joke. <laughs> exactly. So if you make a drop, maybe that comes along. <laughs> Mike, you got some great ones in Goldfinger. So for Goldfinger... We obviously know that James ends up fighting Oddjob. Yes. Incredibly racist portrayal of an Asian villain, but okay. <sighs> he ends up fighting Oddjob. Oddjob ends up uh, throwing his hat. The hat chops a fuse. Oddjob goes to retrieve his hat, which James then threw and gets stuck between two metal bars. Mm-hmm. Oddjob grabs the hat. James Bond takes the blown fuse, sticks it up to the metal bars. Oddjob has been electrocuted, essentially. And so somebody comes along to save James Bond. They go, you okay, James? Where's your butler friend? He blew a fuse. 
So this is the trend-setting thing for action yes. movie heroes for the rest. It started of time, here, right? Yeah, it started with James Bond making a wisecrack to get past the censors mm-hmm. in many ways, and he does that throughout every single movie. There are so many. And Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> the movie starts off where he's just questioning people. Where's Blofeld? There's a guy playing blackjack. And he goes, cards, hit me. And Bond just I wheels him around and punches him in the face. <laughs> Security, casino c- security would be on him in a millisecond. <laughs> There's another big fight. And uh, Tiffany Case is like, is he dead? And Bond's like, I sincerely hope so. <laughs> And so he says goofy things like that too. It's not always. And he's smiling when he says it too. Like the the tone of these is not the what Daniel Craig has made these Bond movies into. But here was one of the fun things about some of his villains, and in this case, Winton Kid. Like they match him dad joke for dad joke. They're literally they can't even stop. They make like five in a row in one scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's uh, there's one where uh, they're pushing Bond in a casket into the. Uh, into wherever Jimmy Hoffa went, and they're going to burn him. <laughs> the oven, basically. The yeah. oven, and they're like, very moving as they hit go on things. As they move the and casket. Then, <laughs> and then Wint's like, a glowing tribute, Mr. Kid. And they keep going, and they get progressively worse. Wint and Kid need their own spinoff. I would watch a, you can't tell me a half hour situational comedy with them every week on like Paramount Network wouldn't get ratings. Just delivering bad one-liners after doing the tiniest thing. It's it's why Austin Powers. <laughs> That's exactly why. You're right. You're exactly say right. Say what they say. <laughs> and, and, and it's so bad that it's hilarious because the, the jokes are so bad. You got another one from Goldfinger. So at the end of it, there actually weren't as many in Goldfinger as I expected there to be. Also worth mentioning again, Goldfinger is the highest rated of any of these movies. Is that a coincidence? You decide for yourself. But at the end of the movie... Exactly what happens at the end of every 60s Bond movie is what happens. They find themselves. Uh, him and the woman of the hour are down on this beach and yes. they're waiting to be rescued. Of Sometimes course. it's in a li- life raft in the middle of the ocean. This time it happened to be this island. And they're waiting. There's a, a, a helicopter coming, looking for them overhead. And pussy galore. <laughs> Push there. I'm so sorry. Pussy <laughs> galore so has to is trying to flag down the chopper with a flare. And Bond just basically stifles it and decides that we're going to have sex in this moment. You don't worry about being saved. I'm going to have sex with you. And so he's charmingly, smarmingly says, this is no time to be rescued. And pulls the parachute over the both of them. She didn't give consent, by the way, so who knows? Uh, yeah, but we got a segment for this coming yeah. up, too. Uh, there's a bunch more one-liners in uh, Diamonds Are Forever. I think the big two are, are these two exchanges. First of all, there's, of course... Plenty O'Toole, and she's like, hi, I'm Plenty, leaning over the craps table. Boobs everywhere. Major League, you know. Her name should have just been Yabos O'Double. <laughs> and Bond's like, but of course you are. And then Pl- and she's like, Plenty O'Toole. And Bond's like, named after your father, perhaps. <laughs> what the fuck? And that's actually Connery's improv there. <laughs> That's from from the making of stuff. Oh, Jesus. That's funny. And then there's another one where, all right, this guy, White, who's a businessman who's basically kept prisoner, uh, has his right-hand man who's basically trying to kill him at that moment. Mm -hmm. And then he's mad that his right-hand man is trying to kill him. He's like, Saxby? Bert Saxby? And Bond's like, yeah. (laughs) Tell him he's fired as Saxby gets shot in the chest. (laughs) (laughs) And just somersaults. Chris Farley style down the hill. 
I wonder if this shit was as funny back then as it is now. Because it's legitimately funny now. It's legitimately funny. And, and another funny scene, I forgot to mention this. So, all right, you have the fat bastard sequence where at the end of the movie, there's one more visit from the bad guys. Of so course. So Wint and Kid are pretending to be waiters. Yes. And I remember it well. They, they have a bomb and a cake mm-hmm. for James Bond. But they're not refined enough villains to know that uh, whatever kind of wine it was. And Bond's like, that, this is a sherret or whatever the fuck he said. I don't know wine. And, Another reason we can't be spies. Right. And Bond is basically, you know, they he, they blew their co- cover. So, of course, Mr. Uh, Winter is a kid. I don't remember. He's like, all right, I just got to resort to whatever's in front of me as weapons. Takes two shish kebabs full of delicious meats, lights them on fire, and comes at Bond with them. Bond basically, like, blows on it, and the shish kebabs catch on fire. I forget what he does. He just, like, throws something at him to where the shish kebabs hit the guy's shirt, and then Uh the next thing they go, that guy's burning. Of course. And he falls off the side of the boat. Now, we have the other guy who comes at Bond with the bomb it gets knocked on the floor the bomb is loose there's always a bomb by the way bond grabs the bomb puts it in this guy's hands his, both of his hands pulls his hands between his legs and then flips him off the side of the boat it is as funny as it sounds after the guy blows up midair before he reaches the water bond is, is just talking to uh whoever he's with at that point he certainly left with his tail between his legs <laughs> Sir, a man has just exploded in midair. What the fuck, James? I would pay money to watch a kid and Quint planning meeting. And just, it's just like a half hour, 27 minutes is them workshopping one-liners that are witty enough for a chuckle. Yes, and I think they spent more time coming up with those one-liners than they did coming There's up with no their doubt. evil plans. <laughs> Uh, even though they, they're, they're, they're... Shit, we're running low on time. What do we do? Uh, da, 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 bomb them. They do well at the beginning half of the movie, but no, not at the end. Even the beginning half of the movie, their first evil deed, if they didn't come across a poisonous scorpion in the desert, they were fucked. That's right. They found... <laughs> it was happenstance. A way to kill them by happenstance right at the end. All right, we've teased this one, Michael. Always say never again. Excuse me. Always say never Again, thank you. So this is going to be we we've hinted at it. We've already said some of these, but that's a weird way to say these. We've already said some of these. Yeah. These are going to be the moral issues. Basically, what holds up worst? Looking back at these James Bond movies with twenty twenty eyes and Bond fans right now. Wait a minute, what did you just do? For right. the, that was supposed to be a best scene segment. Well, they were funny. We did they laugh, but they were, and they're written for comedic value. Right, but the Bond, the true Bond fans are like freaking Linda Blair on the bed right now, <laughs> barfing at us. They're very angry we're with sorry. us. We're sorry. We're sorry. We'll, we'll be higher on the other Bonds, but yeah. all right. You you got some big issues with your movie, so do I. I think Asians are treated extremely poorly. Oh, yeah. You'll always live twice. I mean, they literally, Team America, dress him up as an Asian guy, and then they tape his oh, eyebrows down. Oh, it's offense. Like, if, if every henchman in this movie of Goldfinger was in a gi, a ninja gi, it was, like, just short of that from being horribly offensive and, like, stereotypical and 
proving what obviously Hollywood thought of the oh, the Asian race and Asian men at that time because these are all uniformed. Everyone looks alike. Their only role is to try to assassinate James Bond. They don't have any speaking parts. And they're all over the movie, but they're only in roles where they're uninformed. They have the sole goal of trying to run down and kill Bond. You see the worst of it enacted in a blockbuster Hollywood movie right before your eyes that made a zillion dollars. One of the biggest grossing movies at its time. Uh, it's really offensive. They're racist. Yeah. It's horrible. These old 60s movies are freaking racist, and they're homophobic, and they're chauvinistic, and it, there's no way around it. Yeah. I mean, Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid, look, I, I, I know that you had a lot of, I mean, there's there's books written on this, and I, I've, I've read at least one of them in school back in the day, where it went into, you know, Buffalo Bill being a, a transgender, you know, villain, and there's a lot of issues with that characterization of one of the very first gay characters in a movie or LGBT characters in a movie. They were not given representation Mm -hmm. for decades. And then you finally get this just ridiculous characterization of Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid, and they're shown to be gay because they're holding hands like that in the first scene. And then there's, and then Mr. Kid's like, well, she's attractive for a girl. (laughs) Look, what the yeah. fuck is wrong with you people? It's just like they're the ridiculous, like, uh, second grade idiots talking about shit they don't know, you know, heads or tails of. They can't make heads or tails of. It's ridiculous. I, you can't even say it was a different time because this stuff is so blatant. It's so on the page and it's just so obvious yes. that they're taking shots at people that are different from themselves who are writing this. It's gross. And just another thing as far as misogyny and chauvinism goes, in every James Bond movie, but especially Goldfinger, I noticed, a majority of Bond's plan on how to undo and best Goldfinger is I'm just going to seduce pussy galore. And that's going to work, and that's how I'm going to win. And sure enough, it happens on like their third interaction. From Russia with love, that's kind of the yeah. turning point too. In there, <laughs> I mean, that's she, sees, plan. she sees a picture of him, and then she's in love with Bond. Right, like, I know that she's upset that she's basically, you know, being held at gunpoint. She has to comply, or or, or else, you know, the people working for Spectre are going to kill her. So she's being forced to uh, and coerced to do what she's got to do. But it's just like there's no reasoning behind why she wants to go off forever and ever with bond after that there's like any oppressed group is not they're not given no. any well-roundedness they're not they're one-dimensional they're there just to have this white male fantasy right. played out in front of them it's i mean i i don't we don't like harping on it we have to say it because it's so obvious and it's gross transformation of a woman into a gorilla i didn't even want to talk oh, about Jesus, it it's just yeah. so ra- ridiculous and horrible, horrible. Racist. And, and how do you let a big studio get away with that no matter what year it is i mean good god and that was in the 70s. Yeah, I literally screamed at my TV. I was like, what the fuck? It's awful. It's awful. And, so, and we don't like, our, you know, we you have to mention it. But we have two segments for a reason, because this next one is called Dr. Please, God No. <laughs> Dr. No. <laughs> this is about interactions with women, which really don't hold up, Mike. And Goldfinger, there's definitely one right off the bat here. I mean, he uses a woman as a human shield, and when he notices his attacker sneaking up from behind, and the only reason he notices his attacker sneaking up from behind is because Sean Connery has the same initial interaction with every first woman in every Sean Connery James Bond movie. It's him walking up to them and grabbing her by the neck and basically trying to force himself on her. (laughs) 
<sighs> Moonraper. Oh my god. You, which was going to be the your That was title what I was going to say is the title for, for this session. segment. Oh. There's uh there's something I would like you to get off your chest. <laughs> and then he takes her bikini top and chokes her with it at the beginning of Diamonds for, for are Forever. They don't even for Blowfield. They don't even have enough wherewithal to give that woman in that situation any fight back. Like these characters literally just exist as James Bond's playthings. And it's wrong, it's fucked up, yes. and the fact that they let this happen in any movie, <laughs> I, I don't get it. It shines a light on how this stuff was treated. And for anyone who wants to say, you know, Hollywood isn't racist, Hollywood's never been racist, clearly, that's not the case. We have the evidence in all our Blu-ray box sets. Exactly. Uh, when villains do it, alright, fine, the villain is doing it. I can get why you want to kill the There's at least an understanding. You're building up the bloodlust, whether that's moral or not, I don't know. But when Blofeld talks about Tiffany Case at the end, and he's like, like any sensible animal, she's only threatening when threatened. Like, fuck you, (laughs) Yeah, right. What? Did you just say? I I want to see, like, the girls from Death Proof just kick his ass after that. And that's what Charlie's Angels had to be a response to that, I would think. I hope That was overly sexualized as well and unnecessary. Yeah. At some point, somebody, some power broker in Hollywood had to have stepped up and say, what the fuck are we doing here? And just the outfits for every Bond girl at the end. Like what they're, outfits? They're forced to <laughs> basically get the Princess Leia outfit at the end, like sex slave outfits. And how gross is it that we've deified them? Like the Bond girl is the big... And I understand, you know, sexuality is a big part of womanhood, and I, I get all that, but they were... This was not a feministically empowering thing. This was kind of the opposite. Well, a lot of feminist criticisms uh, that I read, I should have quoted here, I'm sorry, but one in particular said, I think it was from the book, uh, Nobody Does It Better, which is a terrible title considering this segment. <laughs> yes. However, she she said that you basically take away, you strip them of their agency when sure. you strip them of what they want to wear and you force them to wear this little... I mean, when the villain does this yeah. at the end of every Bond movie, forcing them to wear something that he picks out for them. Ugh. It's just it's kind of gross. Anyway, we, we have Tiffany finally getting some agency at the end of Diamonds Are Forever. She shoots the hen- henchman with a machine gun, but then in a very vaudevillian way, the gun just keeps shooting up into the air, and she falls off the back of the oil rig. I mean, that's that's the most agency a woman has given in the Connery movies, essentially, and it's terrible. It's terrible. Uh, we're going to keep an eye. The reason we wanted to track this as well is we, we want to see how it progresses over time. And you get into the 80s and 90s, and women are still being treated so viciously by these major studios, it, it's worth calling out. If race, certain races are treated so viciously and disregarded by these major studios, they're worth being having their feet held to the fire. Like, the craziest thing, like you, you talk about Tiffany Case, you talk about Pussy Galore as characters. Mm-hmm. They're the bright spots. I know. In this series. You're absolutely right. They're talked about in that fashion with that regard. Like, Pussy Galore is actually, she has agency because she switches sides. And Tiffany Case is always a step ahead of Bond with the diamonds and coming back to the diamonds. And she's really clever. And all that is true. It is. But there's still a lot of shit in there. It's still undercut by all this misogynistic bullshit. Oh, my God. So, all right. Well, those are the negatives. Uh, We're trying to compliment Sandwich this. Have uh, fun stuff leading in comment on the bad, and then have the fun stuff coming out. So we have this segment where we're concentrating on the tech. I have a, like, 1980s rant 
from a comedy special that I need to do and get off my chest right now for Q only lives once. I'm very excited for because this. Q is only in one scene in pretty much every movie. Mm-hmm. So you only live one, you only live twice, but Q only lives once in one scene in the movie. This is about the cars, the gadgets, the tech of James Bond, Michael. And here's my rant. Go for it. Why is Q so mad in every scene? Like <laughs> that's his job. That's the only part of his job is to outfit. The double O's. Now, (laughs) they're not the 99s. They're the double O's. Mm -hmm. At most, there's like nine (laughs) secret agents. So his job is to take nine secret agents Mm -hmm. and and outfit them with tech that's going to save the world. So when when you get it down to the fact of how many save the world missions you need to basically equip your spies to go into the field yes. how many of those missions come along and how often do they come along you shouldn't be snotty with the one guy who's got to pull i get it it's shtick i get it but it's ridiculous that q is just like half-assing these because james gets his goat like you don't have the patience to outfit this spy thoroughly and completely and to the point where he's debriefed i think you're absolutely right in hitting on something and q clearly needs therapy <laughs> uh, I my only devil's advocate argument would be, as was the case in Goldfinger, right. if you present James Bond with this beautiful, custom-made Aston Martin DB5 yeah. with yeah. modifications that range from bulletproof windows, yeah. a revolving license plate, so you're valid in all countries without filling out any paperwork, a transmitting device, a radar of 115 miles on the dashboard, a smoke screen, an oil slick, rear bulletproof screen, left and right machine guns, a passenger ejector seat. Fully loaded. You give him everything, and he chooses to smash this fucking car into the side of a, a wall of a warehouse because he doesn't know if there's a dead end coming up or not. He hit the fuck it moment for this. You get a little angry, no? That's true. I will give you that. I will also give you the fact that it plays for comedy. Like yes. these seeds are really funny. Yes. Desmond Llewellyn is fantastic he with really that is. repartee. And look, I get that James Bond would get under your skin, especially because he just wants to drink and have sex. Mm-hmm. And he's so oversexed and drunk <laughs> that he probably doesn't have a lot of patience. He's the kid in the back of the class that really gives his teacher a hard time. I get all that. It's funny. I just had to go on my what's the deal with those things on the end of the sneakers rant at the beginning of this because Q should live and work and prioritize for these scenes and these scenes solely and most importantly can we just agree on that much? I totally agree. And I'm also, <laughs> through this conversation, figuring out why Archer is the smashing success that it has been. Uh, that cartoon that parodies James Bond. <laughs> That's right. Now, the weird thing about Diamonds Are Forever is that there's not that one Q scene. He actually lives more than once. He's got a couple scenes where he's he's in the casino. Good and for he's you, basically Q. cheating at slot machines. Right. He's puts the thing up against the slot machine, and they all win. It's like, I've been waiting for a chance to try this and rip off those American bastards. No, he doesn't He's the only man that doesn't understand why Ocean's Eleven took until the 2000s to make. It's funny. And there's also a funny scene where they wrote themselves into a corner where she has a fingerprint machine Mm -hmm. in her... I want to say boudoir, but it's dresser. It's in her closet, yes. She has to separate the hanging clothes. A fingerprint machine, but don't worry. Bond is on the phone with Q in the next scene saying... I've got to hand it to you, Q. <laughs> and he's lifting the serial killer fake fingerprint off of his thumb. Do you think there was ever a moment in their conversations where Q was like, do we really need the puns right I now, James? <laughs> I'm not, but, well, that's why he's so swarmy. 
Uh, Bond has the cable gun to get across the white with a Y, White House. You know, they're, they're by the there. way, that cable gun. Terrible. I mean, even by like 1960s and 1970s special effects standards. It's not Batman. He shoots it and then clearly someone working on set next to Connery throws it. <laughs> like it's not even close to being attached to it the gun. It might as well have been, you know, a boomerang and a rope and it's a rock. So bad. It's terrible. It's I scary. was jarred by like, how bad it was. But that's what's cool about that scene is like it. You know, you gotta watch him like shimmy over. Right. It's like a legit mountain climbing old school. Like his life was actually life. at stake because it was so bad. It's, yeah. It, still, it gets him A to B. There's the voice impersonation technique that Blofeld uses, mm-hmm. and that basically Bond steals to, for, towards the end of the movie. And I'm gonna go into the reason why this backfires on the bad guys. <laughs> and then, of course, you have Bond, who's in essentially what amounts to. A beach volleyball, mm-hmm. right? But it's the big blow-up kind, right? The one that you have at concerts and that everybody's just hitting in the whole movie. <laughs> he is in a beach volleyball on the end of a parachute, mm-hmm. goes into the water, and then I can see him like a mouse inside of a wheel, yeah. running to the to the rig yeah. in his suit, and he comes out and he's, he's like, "Did anybody order or whatever?" I forget what he says. So that's the tech of Diamonds Are Forever. Oh, and you have the Ford Mustang Mach 1. Right? It's that orange muscle car. I will give it that. It was the coolest muscle car that I've seen thus far in the movies. I'm a bigger fan of that Ford Mustang Mach 1 orange than I am the Aston Martin. To be I was going to ask that. I think I prefer the Aston Martin, but I would not shun either one being a man with so little income right now. <laughs> I would take either Get one. me out of my Kia Optima, please. All right, next segment. And... Uh, there, there's a reason tomorrow never dies, folks. Yeah, because these bad guys can't kill it. <laughs> Look, James Bond has spanned decades and multiple dozens of films. Yeah. Why does this guy not have decent bad... You think the MCU has a bad guy problem? He's got iconic villains in the sense that they, they're great grounds for parody. Yes! And they're stroking those cats yes. and every villain in every 80s cartoon series that you and I grew up watching yes. is going to be stroking that cat in the corner like a James Bond movie. Right! I agree with all of that, but they are so ineffective and a lot of them... You know, I would even say that someone as, as much as Winton Kidd... I didn't remember until I rewatched Diamonds Are Forever for like the third or fourth time in my life. Uh-huh. I will say, I think Goldfinger is a decent villain. He actually has an evil plan that's pretty dastardly. And it makes sense. It's got a twist on itself. He wants to break into Fort Knox, but not because he wants all the gold. He actually wants to taint all of Fort Knox's gold because he wants his gold that he owns to be worth more money so he plans on going into fort knox just to blow up an atomic bomb to ruin fort knox's gold and make it radioactive i think that's actually pretty genius and he comes equipped with he's got his own shtick he loves gold uh he's got maybe the best one-liner of the connery era yes he does no mr bond i expect you to die however the preface to that is that uh do you expect me to talk and then he allows him to talk his way out of it look it's a bit hypocritical. I'll give it to you. There's a reason. There's a reason tomorrow never dies, it's, though. It's a little hypocritical because yes. the villains allow tomorrow to keep happening. Right. Right. <laughs> but he was even ruthless in the fact that he was willing to kill his consortiums. Like he had all these evil businessmen going into this grand plan with him. Not probably surprising to hear they all are old white men, but. They wanted. They were putting up a stink. He said, "Fine, you don't want to be in this. I'm going to put poison gas into this room when we're all gone. You're all going to be dead, and I'll do this myself." 
Operation Grand Slam. Do you think that's the basis for Denny's? Or somebody <laughs> has to go back. Like the Grand Slam breakfast was before. Listen, listen, listen. Let me let me just get this off my chest, all right? What about instead of atomic bombs and gold, pancakes? <laughs> and everything. Every, all the great things for breakfast. You should see the look in my eyes right now, folks. I'm very hungry. Anyway, uh, in terms of Diamonds Are Forever, we have some equally ridiculous stuff. Peter Franks first of all, is not ridiculous. Peter Franks is perhaps the best part of the villainy of this movie. This guy is an assassin. He may be this the most capable bad guy in the Bond series. supposed to be a diamond smuggler, yeah. right? And other than that fight in From Russia With Love on the train, this is like a great fist fight in an elevator. The best Connery fist fight that I've seen thus far. I mean, he's an early thug in this movie, but like this was a great, harrowing, crazy ass fight that I love. And it's not caricature y either. Like he puts up one punch doesn't knock him out of the scene. <laughs> no, <laughs> they, they fight go back and forth. Yeah. And the, the the tiny elevator mm-hmm. and, all, and the and the glass, it all comes into play. I thought that was excellent. I written. agree. I, I, I can't compliment that scene enough. Now, Winton Kidd, I talked about their ending, but the whole thing about them is that they're they get muscle flex scenes early. Like, the first half of the movie is muscle flex scenes for them where they're capable and qualified and they get things done as henchmen. Like, they're capable henchmen. I agree. And then they put a bomb inside the cake at the end. And then, Mike, to, to the most ridiculous thing ever. Like, Blofeld has Bond dead to, dead to rights in the suite. Shoot him. Just, right? Blofeld has Bond dead to rights three different times in that movie. So many times. And then he has him dead to rights in the elevator. Yeah. Like, if that gas that he pumps into the elevator would just yeah. kill him. All right, and then Winton Kidd, have Bond dead to rights. He's passed out in the trunk of their car. Maybe put one into the, you know, put two in the chest, one in the head. Make sure of it. No, Mike, they bring him to a pipeline that is freshly put in mm-hmm. with great staff, by the way. Great. It's the best <laughs> staff America could get at the time. And they, they should have known this. They put him in a pipeline, and there's a pipe cleaning droid. Robot. Naturally. Like R2-D2, like the beginning of Star Wars on the Skywalker (laughs) ranch there. There's one of those droids cleaning the thing. Bond immediately disarms it. And and of course, it takes him to like the next... Well, number one, they have like sensors on it. So Mm -hmm. all of this great staff immediately goes to that point. And the next manhole from the pipeline, Bond immediately walks out. I was like, I was following my dog or something and I got lost. And that's how he gets out of it. They left him yeah. for dead in a situation where he can easily get out of. Coincidences and bad guy mishap, we will call it. The dumbest Leads stuff. to Bond escaping these no-win situations quite often. Bond is strapped, handcuffed to the atomic bomb yeah. in Goldfinger. He's dead. <laughs> the only way he gets out is because Ajab, for no reason throws a man down to James Bond. Like, that guy could have just been killed or sliced with the hat right there or punched or even thrown the other side off that balcony. No, Ajab throws the guy down to Bond over the balcony and Bond's able to, like, use a button off the guy to undo the handcuffs and get free. In in From Russia With Love, Blonde Bond literally shoots one of the guys at the gypsy fight right. that was going to kill Bond. Yeah. Uh, this happens throughout the series. It's absurd how lucky he gets. I mean, the big plan of Bond's backup in Goldfinger <laughs> is that everybody just plays dead. 
and nobody questions it. Bond's backup is at Fort Knox outside the gates when the gates blow up and they all just literally play dead in their car and bank on, well, I'm sure Goldfinger's henchmen won't come by and shoot the bodies to make sure they're dead. And how are they not dead? I have no explanation. Did they have, you know, a Batman-style antidote? Maybe they had the windows up and they were bulletproof and just rolled them down quickly? Invisible gas <laughs> antidote in there, like like the 1960s. I Batman? do not know. I don't remember either, but uh, I, I do think that they were trying to capitalize on the look of Donald Pleasance's Blofeld. But, Mike, is there any reason why we need multiple clone Blofelds in this movie and why is he all of a sudden the and it's just randomly that he is the guy from the beginning uh who was an ally of Bond in the last movie mm. like you only have lived twice why is he that guy all of a sudden why did he take on that likeness why does he have the Mission Impossible masks on that guy uh there was definitely some filling in the blanks you know they were trying to make a cinematic universe but at the same time they took a lot of audience intelligence for granted certainly i'll just say he got plastic surgery and uh yeah call up greg again he was great in the last movie we did with him send in the clones <laughs> i mean this is just a, this is ripe for comedy yes and ripe for parody for all these reasons obviously we're, i think we're gonna get into more of the henchman stuff later on but it's like the michael Caine scene from uh the the austin powers movie no you come at me one at a time no <laughs> and now and then there's the other scene just fall down. Why don't <laughs> right, you just fall right. down? <laughs> the henchmen are useless in this. Useless. Completely useless. And it's great. And it's ridiculously <laughs> awesomely bad. But we're going to fix it, Mike, because we have another segment called Goldfingers. Yes. Where that's, we have the golden touch. It's where we type out how we would fix these bad guys. And again, I have to cheat, Mike. I really like Goldfinger's plan. Okay. I think the easier and lazier writing would have been if they did him like I expected them to do every James Bond villain. I'm going to rob Fort Knox and I'll have all the gold and all the con control of the world's resources. It's a cool twist. With I, I really appreciate it. I, yeah. th I, I think they deserve props, especially being written Here's so early. Here's how I would fix it. Though. Yes, please. Less money mm -hmm. on all those models <laughs> in your house. To give you have that a big problem with this. worthless <laughs> it presentation, make, it makes no sense. You you literally have a whole room that has engineering below it that changes the whole room into like a transformer. A lot, yeah, like a Sims blueprint reenactment. The house in The Incredibles two. Yeah, and then you show all these guys who are you're just gonna poison it. You're just gonna kill them anyway. You give this huge presentation. They don't appreciate it. Yeah, with these ginormous models. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we'd have that much money. Who's to say Bill Gates doesn't have the same situation in his Less house? Less time and attention on that, perhaps. More attention. More shooting the supposed dead bodies at Fort Knox. And more attention to the, your contingency plans. Right. Your, your troubleshooting, I would say. Uh, and diamonds are forever. There's just terrible communication between the bad guys. I mean, a Tree is killed by early by Kid and Wint. He's like one of the comedians who's also a bad guy henchman, and they weren't supposed to kill him yet because yeah. the diamonds were fake. There's also just like a, just a ridiculous scene where Bond is put into the you know the burner mm -hmm. right there at the cremation factory, right. and then he's pulled out again like immediately. He's dead. On the other side, like there were just people there saying that the diamonds were fake. He's done, and then they're like, wait a minute, where's the diamonds? And Bond's like... I'll tell you later. Walks away. <laughs> and, and, and what was the plot of Diamonds of Forever? Why were diamonds so important to Kid and Went? Because, of course, we know this throughout modern science, and Al Gore has taught me at least this much. 
Diamonds are great to make lasers from the moon that will just hold the world hostage. Right, and, right, I, right. And just outmuscle mm-hmm. the re- every military on the planet right. has That's nowhere it. near the means right. of Spectre and, and Blofeld's organizations. That's why we all live in fear of Zales and every kiss begins with K. Mike, the most obvious fixes are... Number one, Donald Pleasance. Just have him instead of this other guy that we have to have clones of. Imagine you have Donald Pleasance to run the bad guy operations of your franchise and you just let him walk. And he had that iconic look, too. And it's just so upsetting. But number two, and more importantly, Mike, how about you just use your satellite moon laser to its fruition, perhaps, mm-hmm. and use your superior firepower? Because this is what takes down Blofeld in Diamonds Are Forever. Mm-hmm. Bond in a beach volleyball. <laughs> right, who we can see coming from a mile away. Tiffany Case changes sides like four times mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and tapes. Changes tapes four <laughs> sides four times because, of course, the codes for the, the, the super laser satellite are in this big band tape, like marching band cassette tape. I think they're trying to pitch cassette tapes. And worse than all this, we have a couple of helicopters, and that's it. <laughs> that's what takes this yeah. base down. Like, you have some, you've spent all these resources to get the moon laser to hold the entire world yeah. hostage. A couple helicopters and one secret agent takes your base down on an oil rig. Like, just to have, you know, take those diamonds that you smuggled through the mouths of hard one by people, one one by it's one tiny diamonds through evil dentists <laughs> and just take a couple of those and come up with a few more laser guns to guard your base yeah perhaps. it seems that that bad guys that revel in such excess didn't use their excess where it could have been used because to that point fort knox was easily taken over by like six airplanes and 40 henchmen that, that's what that's what Goldfinger had to take down Fort Knox with. And he they got inside. I mean, they had it. <laughs> you know, to be fair, he kind of made, you know, a thousand people die with yeah, invisible yeah, gas yeah, before Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's some highlights. Pretty good plan there. <laughs> but, like, you know, have Bambi and Thumper on your team. <laughs> like, they kick Bond's ass. Have the guy at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. who's the assassin, and I forget his name now. Have that guy on your team. Have a couple big henchmen. But the end of the movie just comes down to the fact that Blofeld hired his worst henchman to operate the crane. Because, of course, the crane has to take his escaped mm-hmm. pod, which is going to basically fly through under, his underwater submarine little cool thing, Steve Zissou thing. He's going to get away. But it takes forever for him to get away because Bond takes control. And Bond <laughs> thinks he's going to let him go. Nope, I'm going to smash you back into the walls of the thing where, and you're, you're caught. Gotcha, Blofeld. <laughs> it's so stupid. Uh, yes, I it is know. stupid. But even for its time, there are, I like to think, we, we quoted a bunch of highlights more so than shortcomings. But the shortcomings are awful. Quite frankly, they're they're offensive and they're they're very bad. Yes, but it was a different time, and certainly Mike and I were not alive for that time, so we can only speculate as to how it played back then. We can confirm how ahead of its time some of the writing and some of the aspects and some of the you know different effects and intricacies of the films were today, playing in 2020, because there are areas of the Connery movies that do hold up well in 2020. I, I do wonder if Austin Powers ruined these first group of Bond movies. Yeah, I don't for us. think there's any doubt. <laughs> 
really, I don't think there's any doubt. And about we that. love the yeah, Austin Powers we film. Do. We watched them how many twenty times? And we piece? were raised on those, like people yeah. were raised on the Connery Bonds. We had it in reverse exactly. because of the timing. So, all right, last segment here. Something that I think is very fun for us to do: license to Bill. <laughs> so, James Bond for a secret agent who's supposed to work undercover mm-hmm. and save the world. He does a lot of stuff out in the open that leads to big explosions and things being ruined and, and lawsuits, blowing huh? up. And they should be lawsuits. We could do a whole nother segment about the lawsuit <laughs> yes. factor here, but we're just going to cover the damages, I yes. think. Because, so literally, uh, the first thing that happens in Goldfinger, mm-hmm. the very first thing, <laughs> James Bond is swimming underwater and gets to this place and just blows up these gigantic nitrate tanks. Entire building is gone that he watches smugly from afar. That's probably, ah, conservatively for the building, we'll call it $100,000 for the time. For the time. Right. Now it's millions. Right. (laughs) Uh, The beginning of Diamonds Are Forever, you're in a beautiful Japanese dojo. Mm -hmm. Just priceless. Mm -hmm. Everything is priceless. (laughs) And he throws a guy through the walls. (laughs) Like, they're paper walls, but that's the thing. Like... You probably have to redo the whole side of the I have one of those coming up myself. It's not just the damage. It's the parts and labor that go into fixing it. To these fucking landmarks (laughs) that you destroyed. (laughs) Yes, I have one of those too. When Oddjob throws the hat and it disconnects the cable in Fort Knox, yes, you just need to repair that cable, but that cable apparently is responsible for a whole bunch of those safes opening and closing as we saw in the movie. So you gotta get that whole thing torn down and repaired and reconstructed. I'm gonna say that's easy. $50,000? At least. And that's for the time, probably. Right. That's for the time. Now, for much of Diamonds Are Forever, you know, Bond breaks the elevator, right? Mm-hmm. He, the elevator in Holland is costly, but that's, all right, maybe 10 grand. Sure. Most. That's not that bad. Otherwise, he's not bra- He's not causing that much damage. I mean, he steals Good. the diamonds. There are 12 cars, let's say, through the car chase. I was like, wait a minute, I don't have a lot here. There's 12 cars, and like seven of them are cop cars. But you're not putting any insurance companies out of business at yeah. this point. I'm saving it. You go back to Goldfinger for a second, but there's bigger things that blow, blow up. <laughs> uh, if you're talking about cars, I already said it a couple times. He takes this beautifully, arguably priceless Aston Martin yep. and treats it like it's a Hot Wheels car with him behind the wheel. <laughs> Just trashes it. It's totaled and unusable. You gotta say that's a hundred grand. Easy. The car alone is probably fifty. Right. It was just regular Schmo's cars for the uh, Diamonds Are Forever cars that get blown up for the most part. And he actually takes pretty good care of the Mach 1 there, the Mustang Mach 1. Thank God. All right. Now, once the moon laser beam thing Mm -hmm. is put into effect, we have three military bases blown up. Just blown up. North Dakota, (laughs) Russia, and China. That's that's a lot of money. You can't even calculate that. (laughs) That's... A hundred million per base? <laughs> There's that super droid robot from Rocky Four that gets blown up as well, or that he, he just disarms. Setting the world of science back uh, decades. You know, f- 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 maybe a G. Right. He, I do think he took good care of the space rover 
from whatever that Mr. White NASA base was. Do you think that was his appeal when he was brought in front of the board? Like, look, at least I didn't bother the space rover. The space <laughs> rover, yeah, he lets it, he kind of puts something, you know, on the gas pedal. Right. And it's just going off into the <laughs> desert. So they got to track it down. But that thing's made for the desert. Right. I don't think he, he, he screwed that up too much. Like, if it falls off the Grand Canyon... All right. It could be a problem, right? But he said like he he kept it the the orange car and the space rover are okay. The military bases were countless lives are lost. <laughs> countless lives. What are you going to do? Missiles, how much it do happens. the missiles cost? Same thing in Goldfinger. The entrance of Fort Knox, there is a choice made to let Goldfinger get into Fort Knox before they act. <laughs> <laughs> so he kills everybody in Fort Knox and causes untold damage to the property and buildings there. Now, dude, does he kill them or do they just pass out for a day? I don't know. I, I don't like remember. to think they just passed out. We don't remember. Right. But they're, they're dead. <laughs> President's writing a lot of letters and that part of the story is not told either. Finally, in Diamonds Are Forever, there's one oil rig in Baja that will never be seen again. <laughs> <laughs> so in total, in just these two movies, mind you, we didn't do all of Connery's movies with the damage here. Just these two movies, we have one Japanese house, one elevator in Holland, one space rover from NASA, which is probably in okay, at least working condition. Yeah. One super expensive droid slash pipeline cleaner, about 12 cars, probably cop cars for the most part. Totaled. Three entire military bases <laughs> spanning intercontinental places in the globe yes a whole oil rig in baja we have fort knox <laughs> a custom-made aston martin the security system of fort knox both yeah. internally and externally never mind the numerous bullet holes and blood stains that now need removing from the buildings and grounds of fort knox all told conservatively what would you put the total damage at here mike one billion dollars. <laughs> At least. Who gets the bill? Does MI6 get the bill? I want Desmond Llewellyn <laughs> to, re to receive the bill. And then I want that scene at the end of the right. movie. I do too, now that you've mentioned it. That would be a great deleted scene. That is your first episode into the James Bond character study. We're so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of good some bad some awful atrocities a lot of good and obviously these movies were made to have fun with and we're trying to have fun with them like mike said if you want a deep dive and more of the quentin tarantino rewatch series type introspection that these films bring uh there's a lot of people out there that are doing it in session film is doing a great job right now doing their rewatch series so much more credible and mature <laughs> And I respect them. Yes, and agreed. we are not to be respected at no, this monstrosity. Let's just call this a monstrosity. We're handling. I mean, it's a character study. It's not a yeah. rewatch series. This right. is more in line with the joke. What we did with the Joker. It's funner. Yes, we're trying to have more levity and lightheartedness because if we didn't, we would just cry. <laughs> So we clearly, as always, want to know what your thoughts, uh, any of your memories having to do with any of the Sean Connery, James Bonds, any comments or, or questions or concerns that you have for anything having to do with James Bond or anything we do here in the MMO mm -hmm. Empire, mm -hmm. we want to hear from you. And come at us. Let us know yes. like the stuff that we yada yada and the stuff that we don't get or didn't pay attention to or the stuff that was explained away and we were just weren't with it. Like we haven't seen these movies 
you know, a hundred times a piece. We've seen them twice. Yeah, and we're not watching them with as critical an eye either because we have, you know, a section where we're accounting for all the damage. This is a cleansing <laughs> experience, a palate cleanser. To get us out. This is a, very much akin to the Mission Impossible rewatch. Right. Where we're getting out of Oscars mode. The Halloween rewatch in many ways, yes. Uh, <laughs> Big up to my homies. Just pointed at the sky and pounded my chest. Yes. So uh, we do want to hear from you. Good, bad, or indifferent. Let us know. You can leave us those comments. And add comments about anything else we do in the MMO Empire. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. At MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts. And if you would be so kind as to slip on your tuxedo, get your martini shaken and not stirred, and give us a five-star review there on Apple Podcasts. Or refrain from not rating us at all. <laughs> Please. Either one works, really. Michael, what is coming next from MMO? And what are some words of wisdom? My James Bond, my Connery, borders on Bane. I was raised in James Bond movies. That's right. That's that's. I was trying to put my finger on what voice you were doing, and it was Bane. That's what it was. That's well, one mystery solved was. today. Whereas I just threw a whole car ride up. I was, you have a decent... You, you're not well, bad. I was working on it. Uh, you, were put, you were putting your reps in. There you 25 go. 25 minutes. Nah. I was trying. So eventually I got there, started out, I had to say some stupid things. Literally started from the bottom, and now we're both here. Words of wisdom? I'm really supposed to... Can we just say... It doesn't have to be wisdom. It's like words of... Common sense, perhaps. Words said. Words said. Because I can't get up the brain power for wisdom at this point. But I think it is something to say. <laughs> that you should go to Jamaica and write, and you'll come up with some wacky shit. Ian Fleming, that man came up with some crazy stuff yeah. in Jamaica. <sighs> or at least base your movie there, so if it gets in, put into production... I have my future life planned out for him. And he started in his 40s, by the way, <laughs> writing. I hope you come up with a spy series with the main protagonist being like, oh, mine w- Bane's John. He would be so, <laughs> be so fat. He would just eat. And he would just be such a foodie. He would basically like be played by Patton Oswalt. And I would love him for it. Mike, there's, there's no conflict in this script. He just goes to various Italian restaurants. I just do guys, you know, Guy Fieri. Look, I know. don't care what happens. I know need to write the script for the prequel to the critic from Ratatouille. That's right. That, <laughs> I need that, that like story. My male fantasy at this stage in my life. <laughs> oh, we hope you guys had some laughs as well as some learning uh, learning stuff in this episode. Yeah, that's why that was just words said. We just said more words. <laughs> guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies with us. Uh, we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season. And other seasons year-round. Yeah, that's bullshit at the end of this episode. (laughs) Well, there's certainly no stuffiness, so without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. See you.